finer announcements, okay? Um, it is an honor for me to be here today. Um, I led worship, and I'm preaching now, and I'm very honored to do that. Uh, I believe that this message is for our church today. I have a lot to say, uh, and the allocated time sometimes is uh, a bit challenging for us preachers. Um, and normally, I preach very short, but as I was working through this message, the Lord had a lot to say, so there's buckle up. <laughs> I am going to try to honor the time, okay? So let's just, just uh, jump straight into the word and uh, to make the best of our time today, shall we? Uh, let's go to Luke 24, verse 13 to 35. Luke 24, verse 13 to 35. So I am reading off the NASB 1995. So you can follow along here if you have a different version. Verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. So one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the, the things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet and mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb earlier in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exact, just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When Jesus had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So they said to one, to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, and he 
and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road on how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Short prayer to begin. Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to hear you. Open our hearts and set them on fire with your word. And open our minds to know you, Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, I remember going on long road trips with my mom and my siblings and my dad. And we took the car and we drove for hours sometimes to go to the beach or sometimes we went to the mountains. And just like my little daughter does nowadays, I remember being the type of the kid that after a while, I was that kid after a while, I would start to ask the question that every kid asks when sitting for hours in a car and they get bored. And this is, Becky, what is it? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lily has a song that is quite annoying, actually. She goes, are we there yet? And then I answer, not yet. Are we there yet? Not yet, exactly. Are we there yet? You get the point, right? And I don't know if that's the case here in the U.S., but me and my siblings always had the most random conversations when we were in the car. And we did whatever we could to burn some time away and entertain ourselves at time past. And usually you could hear in the car something along the lines as, I spy with my little eye something red, shiny, and it has wheels. And after a few times guessing the same thing for about the millionth time, my sister and my mom would get bored and they would finally put some music in our cassette player. Yes, cassette player. Don't, let's not go there. And we would have some precious silence for a few minutes or maybe for a while until someone in the back dared to ask the same question again. Are we there yet? Very much differently was the case with these two fellows that, we, that were traveling along the road in the story that we just read, right? If anything, their conversation was filled with discussions and many details about what had just recently happened in their lives, in their city, and most specifically with the one that people call Jesus of Nazareth. So in their conversation, there was no time for tribal discussions or little games such as I spy with my little eye or much less for the question, are we there yet? It's not like they just took an Uber donkey, right? And, and they were uh, trying to track on their GPS how long it would take them from Jerusalem to Emmaus. No. They probably had to walk on this seven-mile trip that would probably take them around three to four hours to complete. You know, I was curious last week to see how this trip would look for us if we chose to do it today. So I went to this cool app called Google Earth. And basically what you do is that you kind of travel along the road through pictures of the actual place that you're looking for. So you put it on the map, you know, the initial location, Jerusalem in this case is what I did. And, and then you put your final destination, Emmaus, which is a real place, it still exists. And just like that, it will show you the road and how it will actually look for us right now. So you can know the place and the road that you're wanting to take. Kind of cool, huh? I feel a little bit old saying that. 
I know, I know Delta Kids. I know that has been existed forever, you know, the app. But anyways, I did it this week, and I thought it was cool. And I did this because I wanted to get an idea of how this trip would look for, those, for these two characters that were part of this story. Some Bible commentaries uh, tells us that this trip was not particularly an easy one. As a matter of fact, the, the, the hilly roads, if you call these roads, and the dusty terrain and the rocks all over the place would make your trip very tiring, that being especially if you had to walk. And let me tell you, most people back in the day, they walked. And I know this is a foreign concept to us. We really don't walk that much. But people walk from one town to another. Seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, three to four hours, give or take, Easy peasy for some of, of you guys here. I was talking to Caden, and he was saying, oh, I'll do that in an hour. thought that was interesting. I'll probably take three to four hours to do it myself. But on top of that, you would have to add the scorching sun of the day because traveling at night was not safe at all. Hundreds of travelers coming and leaving Jerusalem, heading to their own towns or coming back to their town. This road was definitely a pirate's delight. You wanted to steal someone or rob someone, that was the road. Or if you wanted to get robbed. And so now that, we, now that we know a bit more about the setting for our two travelers in the story and the length of the strip more or less, I can assure you that three to four, four hours would not be enough for the conversation that would take place that day on the road to Emmaus. It would be a conversation and a walk that they would never forget. A conversation and a walk that would mark their lives forever. And so without the intention of sounding presumptions today, but with the sole intention of helping you remember the sermon, I have titled this message, A Walk to Remember. A Walk to Remember. You know, there are many walks in our lives that we will always remember, right? History will always remember this one in particular. July 21st of 1969 at 10.56 p.m., Neil Armstrong, 240,000 miles away from Earth, would speak these words for more than 2 billion people listening back on Earth. He said, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, as he gave his first step for humans on the moon's surface. This next walk, I will personally always remember it. July the 10th of 2015, 4.40 p.m., Katie Lynn Blaylock, fiancé of Hector Jimenez, speaker here, would walk down the aisle for the first and very last time as a single woman to become Katie Blaylock Jimenez, my beautiful wife. I will always remember that. So my invitation today for all of you is to find answers to two specific questions as we walk along, pun intended, through this biblical narrative but also to allow the Bible to examine our hearts. That is the invitation today. Just as these two characters did at the end of their walk. So the first question that I would like for us to answer today would be, am I walking with Jesus? Am I walking with Jesus? Or even better, is Jesus walking with me? Is Jesus walking with me? And the second question that I would like us to answer today is, what are Jesus' words causing in me? What is his words causing in me? When Jesus speaks, what are his words causing you to think, to speak, and to do? So let's focus on these two questions as we move along this message today, shall we? As I mentioned the last time I preached, which was 
some months ago, Luke, the author of the New Testament gospel named after him, took the time to write the accounts of this book, the gospel of Luke, Luke, with careful investigation and written an orderly sequence from the very beginning of the accounts so that his reader, Theophilus, would know the exact truth about the things that had been taught to him regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in other words, Luke took the time to carefully investigate and write in orderly fashion what people were teaching about Jesus and his gospel so that whoever read it would know the exact truth about the ministry of Jesus Christ. On top of that, I mentioned last time that Luke was not just a a simple writer, but instead, he was a very educated man, a doctor, it appears, who took the time to write about other accounts that other writers did not include in their Gospels. And one of the examples of this is exactly the story that we just read today. It's only in the Gospel of Luke. It is important for us to consider that these are written testimonies from eyewitnesses that knew Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that heard his words being preached, and that experienced in person the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what our brother Luke is talking and taking the time to carefully and gracefully write to his reader. The same story we are allowed, by the grace of God, to read today, 2,000 years later. And so when I approach this story, I'm aware of the details and the time and the care that Luke took to to write his gospel. So I should not read it. We should not read this gospel uh, as someone who just goes along the story and misses many of the fine words that the author has chosen for us to read. And that God allows us to enjoy as part of what we know and call the word of God. So I start by reading it, and I see that this part of the story begins with, and behold, and I want to be honest with you, I wanted to talk a lot about that word behold, because it carries so many things, but I'm not going to go there today. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. So my first instinct as a reader is to say, wait a minute, no real story starts with, and behold, right? This is a conjunction word or phrase that connects this part of the story with something else. But I also ask myself, what did Luke mean with two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus? What is that very day that Luke is talking about here? And so Curious Me goes back a few verses from the story we just read and find that there is another part that preludes this text. I'd like to give a little bit of disclaimer here. Um... I would like to warn you that we're going to do a little bit of Bible reading today, so I want want to invite you to stay within the vicinity of chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, if you will. We'll also have it on the screen if you want to read along if you don't have your Bibles with you today. So a few verses before our story on Luke 24, verse 1, says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Okay, so now we know what they specifically Luke was talking about here. The text says it says on the first day of the week, and this would be on a Sunday for the Jews, by the way. 
And it even tells us the time of the day at early dawn. But then it says, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And again, as a reader, it raises a question, who is Luke talking about here? And I'm not trying to confuse you or taking down, take, take you down a rabbit hole with this. I do have a point with this to make. But I find myself backing up a bit in the story again to discover who are they, these people in the story, right? For those of you that are familiar with the story and know who is Luke talking about here, these details may seem a bit irrelevant, but not for the point of my message today, as we will discover that these characters also play an important part in the story that we're studying today. So, so hold on there for a second. To discover who these characters are, I go back to Luke chapter 23, right at the end of the chapter. So right there. At the end of chapter 23, only to find out that the whole story we're dealing with is no more, no less than the story of Jesus' resurrection. And I want to confess to you that I intentionally chose this, uh, to preach this story today. I wanted to follow a kind of a linear approach uh, to Pastor Dave's message last week when he spoke about Jesus' resurrection. And my purpose was to talk about what happened after Jesus' resurrection So the story that we're reading today goes along this timeline, along this, this time. It happened around this time. But one of the temptations as a preacher and as a pastor is to look at our Easter Sunday celebration from last weekend and say, what a wonderful Easter celebration we had. Did you see how many people were here? I mean, the place was packed. The kids sang their songs. The sermon was amazing. Jesus is alive, Right? As a pastor, as a, as a preacher, that's, that's what we want to say most of the times. And, and I believe that this was the case here for Hope Chapel. I, I think we did have a wonderful Easter celebration. And we honored Jesus and his resurrection with our, congregations and, our congregation and with those that actually visited us that day. And I know that I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here with the story and with the questions that we're planning to answer today. But I would be remiss if I did not bring the question to kept popping into my head last week as I prepared the sermon and as I saw other people celebrating Easter around the, the planet. Facebook, right? Okay, so Jesus is alive, right? We celebrated Easter. Wonderful. For real, wonderful. Now what? Now what? What will you do with this resurrected Jesus? It is important for us to think along these lines as many Christians around the world, as I said, now they see this Easter celebration as a single event in history that is just commemorated once a year. And after the overcrowding of the churches, and after the Easter egg hunt, and after the meal and the nap that follows, Easter ends, and there's that until our next Easter celebration. My encouragement to you, church, is to continue to show to the world with your life and with your walk that God is alive. And he continues to live not just one day of the year, not just on Easter, but even after Easter ends, we still celebrate it that Jesus is alive. Amen? And how do we do this then? How do we make this practical in our lives? Well, this is the reason why I intentionally chose this passage to preach it today. The Lord took me to this story so that we could all think of the two questions that we're asking ourselves today in the light of Jesus' resurrection. Am I walking with Jesus? Or even better, is Jesus walking with me? Because if Jesus is not around, 
If I'm not walking with Jesus in my life, then what resurrection are we continuing to celebrate? So, as we hear this message today, as Jesus continued to speak to our lives in our daily walk, number two, we can answer the second question, what are Jesus' words causing in me? And that would be in a few words, just as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago. Now what? What will we do with this resurrected Jesus in our lives? Will we preach him to the world? Are we preaching him to the world? Will we follow his steps and live as he did? What are his words and resurrection, the story of his resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ causing us to do today? I think that's a good question to answer. All right. Okay, now that has, that, that has been said, we can go back to our story, right? Luke 23, as I told you, we're going to be around the vicinity of chapter 24. And verse 54 to 56 says, uh, and this is, uh, this is just a contextual reading for, for our main story, guys. So verse 54 says, it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the woman who had come with Jesus out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So now we know who Luke is talking about. These they that are mentioned in the beginning of chapter 24 are women who had come with Jesus out of Galilee and followed him and witnessed his crucifixion, his death, and also how his body was laid in the tomb. And if you take the time to read maybe verse 49, I think it's here on the screen, I believe I put it. It says, and all of Jesus' acquaintances and the woman who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things happen. The NIV says, translated, Jesus' friends were also there. I found that interesting. Jesus' friends were standing at a distance, seeing these things. So Luke is talking here about Jesus' followers. These women were Jesus' followers also. But most likely, Luke was also talking about Jesus' disciples. His friends were also there, standing at a distance. All right, we have now the day, Sunday morning, three days after Jesus' crucifixion and death. We now have the whom and the characters of the story, these women that were ready to anoint Jesus' body as uh, the Jewish tradition taught them to do. But we also have some followers or acquaintances, as we read, as Luke describes here early in the chapter. So this whole story involves people that clearly knew Jesus, these are not just some random people that were there and all of a sudden decided just to go and visit Jesus' tomb. No, the, this whole story is about the same people that a week before this moment were in, in Jerusalem and they lift palm branches in the air and lay their clothes on the ground as they shouted, Hosanna to the king, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These were the same people. Luke uses uh, here the word nostos. Nostos, which implies to know, to know well, well known, and people that were notable in Jesus' ministry according to the context. You know, I can't avoid thinking about us in the same way that I see these Nostos that follow Jesus until his death. Some of us, like these women, very committed to what our biblical teachings hold, 
well-known Christians that know Jesus on a personal level, walk, willing to walk with Jesus until the end. Some of us, just acquaintances. We have heard about Jesus. We come to church every Sunday morning, and we celebrate what tradition and maybe our religion or the religion of our parents have taught us to, to, to celebrate. We just come to church because our parents come. We just come to church every once in a while. Some of us just, you know, are acquaintances. But we follow Jesus from a distance. We walk from afar. You see, Luke's story is relevant to us today. 2,000 years later is still relevant to us today as it was relevant for those that he was writing his gospels to back in the day. It doesn't take long for us to identify ourselves with certain characters in the Bible and to recognize if we are following Jesus from close or if we're following Jesus from far away. If we are committed to him or if we are just acquaintances of him. And this is the reason why today's story should take us to answer one of the questions that, and matter that I proposed at the beginning of this message. Am I walking with Jesus? Is Jesus walking with me? Which take us back to our original story in Luke chapter 24. Let's go back to our original story. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. And behold, <clears throat> two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things, all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. I find this part of the story to be very interesting, you know. I really was pondering about this this week. And I don't know about you, but I, I think it's very interesting where it says, you know, their, their, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Because we already stated the one in the story, we already, we already know who Luke is talking about, and we know that these two characters, these two travelers, are not just two simple characters that were just, you know, talking about the events that happened during the weekend in, in the city of Jerusalem. No, these two, these two were actually followers of Jesus Christ. They're, they were nostos, they were friends of Jesus. So again, if they knew Jesus very well, why were they not able to recognize him? You see, the Bible doesn't say that they did not recognize Jesus, which they didn't. But instead it says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, from recognizing Jesus. There's so many theological uh, discussions that we can, we, we can have around this part right here, but there's something here for us to think about. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that sometimes we walk the path of life and Jesus is with us, but we are prevented from seeing him walking next to us. Have you ever wondered, as you live your life, where is God in the middle of my circumstances? 
Where is God in the midst of my sadness and my affliction? My dear brothers and sisters, this is a biblical truth that we need to remember. And this is that if you are a true follower of Jesus, even though you might think or feel that he is not with you, Jesus Christ is always with you. There's a promise made to Joshua in the Old Testament that becomes ours as children of God. And as we follow his commandments, we can rest assured that God will be with us. This is in Deuteronomy 31.8. And it says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He, built, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. But let's also remember what the psalmist said about our God being with us when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So do not stop in the middle of the road and look around and doubt, just like these two travelers did, wondering, is Jesus still with me? Because even if it seems like he's not around you and your circumstances take you to think this, Jesus Christ is walking with you. Now, I do have to say that this is our hope for those of us that follow Jesus Christ. For those of us that answer the first question, am I walking with Jesus? And you say, yes. Is Jesus walking with me? Yes. But what about if you're asking yourself the question, am I walking with Jesus Christ in my life? And maybe you find it hard to answer this question. Maybe you don't know. Or maybe it's actually pretty easy, as you know that this is not the case. Maybe you say, no, Jesus Christ, he's not in my walk. My dear friend, I believe that today is the day for your eyes to be opened and see Jesus as he comes along and speaks his words into your heart. So listen up. Listen up. Let's continue with our story. Verse 18. So one of them named Cleopas answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in here in these days? Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, What things? When I read this, I, I thought it, it was kind of funny that Jesus was telling me what things. You know, here's the guy that he, they're talking about, and what things? At the same time, I was kind of moved in my heart. Beautiful Jesus, always showing his character and his personality, always wanting to know what's going on in our hearts, always wanting to hear us, always wanting to listen to us. That is Jesus for you. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And let me just stop the story here for a second because I don't know if you're getting this, but there seems to be a huge disconnection between the way that Cleopas' character, this Cleopas' character, was talking about Jesus and the way that we would expect for a follower, for a nostos of Jesus Christ to speak of, of him, right? He calls Jesus the Nazarene. Okay, fair enough. He, he, he grew up in this area. But then he calls Jesus a prophet. Eh, wrong answer. You should know better, Cleopas. He was not a prophet. He was the Messiah. 
He walked with him. You heard him say to his disciples many times, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And this is exactly what we hear from Cleopas responding to Jesus actually. And perfectly describing the sentence and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, these two characters knew exactly what had happened to Jesus. They had been eyewitnesses of the story of Jesus Christ on this earth. So then, why would Cleopas and his companions say such a thing about Jesus? Why would they describe him this way? Why would they describe Jesus just as a, a prophet mighty indeed? And word in the sight of God and all the people. Is it because they forgot what Jesus had spoken to them before his death? Maybe. Do we sometimes forget what Jesus speaks to us? We do. Had they forgotten already what had happened with Jesus as they followed him in his earthly ministry? Uh, I doubt it. They were discussing about it. So what was going on in the minds of these two fellows? Well, the answer we find it here in the next verse. Verse 21, it says, but we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem, redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. These two had lost all of their hope. Now, the question here is, their hope for what? Their hope for what? They said it. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. These two were expecting from Jesus to come like a conquering king and destroy the enemies of Israel and be done with the oppression once and for all. Kind of reminds me some of the Christians nowadays that they put their hope in a specific politician or a specific person to fix our mess. <laughs> That's where, where these two characters had placed their hope on. Not in the savior of their souls, but in the savior of their flesh. I don't know if you're getting this, but very much like these two characters that lived over 2,000 years ago, our tendencies are still the same today. Some of us see this Jesus just as a prophet, another character in this, the history of religion. And even though we have heard many things about him, all we can say about him is, that, yeah, I mean, you know, He was a good man, right? He did a lot of miracles. Most people liked him. I know he's the son of God, but that doesn't mean much to me. My hope is not in him. And I mean, give me a break. These things happened 2,000 years ago. Or maybe you're here and your view of Jesus is a little bit different and you say, I know who Jesus is. I know who he was. I know what he can do, and I'm ready for him to step in and walk with me, but my hope in him is fading away. Let me tell you today that as you walk the path of life, Jesus not only listens to what you have to say, but he also wants you to listen to his words, to his word. Because only in Jesus and in his word, you will find True hope. I saw a movie a couple weeks ago. 
a very bright attorney. It talked about a, it was about a, this very smart lawyer, lawyer, an attorney that found himself committing a crime and file a lawsuit against himself to bring himself to jail. <laughs> it was a very interesting movie, very interesting plot to say the least, and and it kind of reminded me of these two characters, you know, in, a, in our story. Here they were before this stranger telling him everything that had exactly happened to this Jesus guy that they knew, that people called him Nazarene, that he was mighty indeed before, you know, in the word before God and the people, that he was sentenced and killed by the religious, religious leaders, that it had already been three days since these things happened and still nothing. And then they start telling Jesus even how some women visited the tomb earlier that day and they saw a vision of angels that uh, they came to them and told them, Jesus is not here, he's alive. And, and how some of Jesus' followers and his disciples, his nostos, went to the tomb and found him exactly as these women had described, the stone rolled away, empty tube, no Jesus to be found. I mean, it kind of reminded me of some of the children in school or when I was a kid and I was in school and, and, and our teach, my teacher asked a question and we all, when we knew, we all started shouting, me, 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 I know it, now pick me, pick me, I know it. These two, were, these two characters were guilty as charged. They knew everything that had happened to Jesus Christ and they had heard Jesus' words from his very own mouth, yet their hope was set on the wrong things because they completely misunderstood who Jesus was. Did Jesus not tell his disciples and followers who he was? He did. <laughs> yes, he did. Were they not listening when he spoke? I'm sure they were. Then what happened here? This is Jesus' answer to this. And I'm getting to the heart of my message here today, church where I hope we can all find application to this sermon. Verse 25. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, the Bible for them, And with all the prophets, still the Bible for them. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Dear church, sometimes our personal or sometimes our problem does not rely on the fact that we don't not listen to God's word speaking to us. You know, so that's, sometimes that's not our problem. We are, we are hearing. We are listening to God speaking to us. Our problem is that as we hear what he says to us, we are slow to believe in our hearts and in all that God tells us in his words. I mean, Jesus called them fool, called them slow, and there is a reason to it. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So our problem does not rely on the fact that we are listening to God, but our problem is in our lack of faith when we hear God's words. With Delta, we have been studying what wisdom is. And I'm sure if you ask most of them, they would be able to actually answer quite accurately what wisdom is. Um, but the teachers were very surprised to actually, and blessed actually, to hear their answers about 
wisdom and how the Lord was speaking to their hearts about what wisdom is. But in this study, we talked about the word fool. And, and, and this is how they would define it. Fool is a, or a foolish person is a, the one that knows God's truth. This is applied to the Bible, right? A foolish person is the one, the one that, that knows God's truth and acts contrary to it. Right? Right, Delta? Reason why Jesus called Clopas and his partner foolish men. Because they already knew the truth. They knew what was supposed to happen. I mean, they even told Jesus everything that had happened. Me, 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 I know, Jesus, I, I know the answer. Yet they failed to believe what God has spoken to them through Jesus and the word. They were slow to believe. Slow to believe. I don't know if that actually is true. I'm not saying don't go to the word and study it. Just like the people from Berea that, that, that went to the Bible to actually see what Paul was actually preaching was correct. I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm talking is about a different attitude. It's about actually not believing in your heart. I, I hear it, but I'm, I, even if I study it, even if I hear it, hear it even if we go through the word, mm, Have you believed in what God has already spoken to you through the Bible in the past? I mean, you all read the Bible, right? I want to assume that we do. Are you just keeping his words as a recollection of memories and you're unsure what to do with them? In the midst of your situation, what has God spoken to you that you need to not only remember, but fully believe again? Because just like these two travelers, many times we fail to understand the necessity of remembering and believing God's words in the midst of our suffering, in the middle of our pain or disappointments, in the midst of our hardships. So that we can see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the resurrected king that we celebrated last week as our true and only hope. I believe we have ran out of time here, but before we finish, I would like for us to try to answer the second question of today. What are Jesus' words causing in me? Causing me to think, to speak, to do. So in a quick attempt for us to relate to this last part of the story, I have chosen three words, all of them starting with an I. And I, I want to confess that I wish I had better, uh, a broader vocab, and I would have picked better words starting with an I, but hopefully these three words will do. <laughs> Number one, invitation. Number two, identify. And number three, immediate. Immediate. Let's finish the last part of our story, verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going, and Jesus acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Invitation. Number one, invitation. There was a clear invitation from these two characters for this stranger to come into their place. And this reminds me of uh, what the Bible says in Revelation 3.20 when Jesus spoke to the Apostle John offering an invitation to anyone who is willing to let Jesus Christ into their lives. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
Hope Chapel, if, if anyone here finds that Jesus is not around in their walk, or if you have walked with him in the past, but you're brave enough to admit today, I walked away and Jesus is not in my path anymore. Let this story and the words of Jesus be a clear hope for you today. He not only listens to you, he is not only interested in speaking with you, but he knocks at the door of your heart, wanting for you to invite him into your life. This is a clear invitation for you today to let Jesus come into your life. Jesus wants to open your eyes to his word, which takes us to the second word, identify. Identify. Verse 30, let's read it really quick. When he heard When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The second application for this last part is an encouragement for us to identify Jesus in our lives. It was not only until these two fellows decided to invite Jesus into their place and decided to break the bread with him, and then their eyes were opened and they were able to recognize Jesus. You see, back in the day in the Jewish culture, the place of honor was given to that person that had the, the, the opportunity to break the bread and give it to the rest of the people and thank God with a prayer. That was the place of honor. There is a reason why Cleopas and his friends did this. You just don't invite anybody to come, or any random person to come to your house and, you know, you give them their food and, and, and you give them a place of honor in your family and, and just do whatever they want. You don't do that, right? The reason why these two did this was because of what we read in verse 32. It says, so they said to one another, we're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? While Jesus was preaching his word Their hearts were burning. When we invite Jesus into our hearts, when we allow him to take the place of honor in our family and in our lives, then we will see and identify Jesus walking next to us. And we will see and identify Jesus in every word that he speaks to us. We will read our Bibles and we will see Jesus in it. Not just as a simple prophet. Not just as the one that does this or that in my life or other people's lives. No. We will see Jesus as our Lord and our God walking with us at all times, stirring up our hearts with his words. Do you want to see Jesus walking with you and his words become alive in you? Then give, give Jesus the place of honor that he deserves in every area of your life. Not just in one part where you say, Jesus, you can come into this part of my life, but no, 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 not my anxiety. Don't touch that. No, Jesus, you can come here to this part of my life, but not my sex life. Uh-uh, not there. Don't mess with my finances. And don't you dare go into that door over there. That's my past. Identifying Jesus in our lives starts with allowing his word to guide every aspect of your life. Our last and third word is immediate. Verse 33. And they got up that very hour, <laughs> that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, 
the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon, they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Seven miles again? No worries. We'll walk him. Three to four hours at nighttime? With the danger of the road? We don't care. We'll take the risk. Talking to the disciples and the apostles even? But what if they judge us? He knows more Bible than I do. What if he doesn't listen to me? I mean, some of them don't even believe anymore. Doesn't matter. We will speak his words because his words have set our hearts on fire. You see, it's this sense of urgency to do something right away, no matter the cost. And this should be the immediacy that you and I should have to share with others what God has done and said to us. The sense of urgency to share the word and share to the world that Jesus is alive. Why? Because there is no other hope for the world but Jesus Christ, our resurrected king. So the question is, what are Jesus' words causing in you? Are you inviting him to be part of your walk? Would you identify and recognize that he's with you as you listen to his words and give him the rightful place in your heart and in every area of your life? Would you allow his words to stir up your heart to the point that all you want to do is to share with others what he has done and continue to do in your life no matter the cost? What are God's words causing you to think, to speak, and to do? I believe that Jesus is revealing himself to many of us today. Our eyes are open, and he's stirring up our hearts again. We're stirring them up for the very first time, and maybe that's the case. I believe that Jesus is reminding many of us that he is still walking with us. And I believe that he wants us to remember every day that his resurrection is not a thing of the past, but the gospel of salvation, the good and amazing story of his salvation to us, should cause us to keep our steps close to him, walking with him, as we identify his lordship in our lives, and as we listen to his words every day. Allow me to conclude with this phrase. The road of life will make your will make you walk in many directions and sometimes it will make you feel lonely and lost. But if you walk with Jesus and listen to his words, he will be with you until the end and this will definitely be a walk to remember forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. There are many things in our hearts, but we pray that your fire will stir up those things that truly matter and take away those that don't. Burn away everything that has become a distraction for us that doesn't allow us to see you as who you truly are and hindering from seeing you by our side in our daily walk. Forgive us for not giving you the place of honor in our hearts and in our lives. 
we invite you in in every area of our lives and our hearts. Please stay with us. Do not leave. Take it all, Lord. Come into our hearts. We listen to you knocking today. Bring us to think, to speak, and to do according to your words in us and help us to recognize you in every step of the way. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.